Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Monday, December 16th, this is episode 131, and I want to jump directly in without any much more commentary from me into our pre-recorded segment because this interview is just very important. Uh, it's something that I want to stick with you. I don't want to really add too much or take anything away by going on and, and talking about other announcements or other types of things. So here is our pre-recorded segment and important interview for this week. All right, well, we're back today with Carlene Nisley, and um, we have just started last week uh, kind of a theme of leading up to Christmas, talking about um, Christmas and talking about all of the, the stuff that comes alongside Christmas. You know, there's so many times that we get wrapped up in uh, the actual day itself, and of course, with that come the, the, the Christmas shows and Santa Claus and, you know, the presents and all this stuff that has kind of been tacked on to. Uh, the meaning of Christmas, but not only the meaning of Christmas as Jesus in the manger, but really getting back to the things that matter. Um, and so today I wanted to, to talk with Carlene, and um, thanks for coming on and talking to us today, Pastor Carlene. I am very pleased to be here with you, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, so I am, this is the first time, you know, in our conversation that we've talked um, on the phone, and so I'm just getting introduced to you a little bit. Um, and so, uh, for both my myself and for everybody listening, why don't you just tell us um, some of your story? And I know you're the pastor now of New Vision Fellowship, but just tell us kind of your story and what led to become you becoming the pastor there. I can do that. I've attended New Vision Fellowship since the 1980s, actually, and my husband and I were both involved in ministry almost from day one. I actually accepted. Jesus as my Savior at 25, even though I was um, baptized at 13, that was just fire insurance. Um, my dad had just passed away, and I was so scared of going to hell that I got baptized, but didn't understand anything about a relationship with Jesus. So as an adult, um, we had one child and decided that we should at least introduce her the idea of Christianity, <laughs> so started going to church, and um, shortly after that, Ted rededicated his life, and I would say for the first time, I accepted Jesus as my Savior and understood what that meant. Hmm. So we were involved in ministry. We actually had a prayer ministry, um, seeing healing um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and we were involved in that for a number of years together. I also did some children's ministry, directorship, women's ministries, and in 2005, I was um, actually the leader at a women's conference, and one of the things we had the women do was um, go a little deeper on Saturday evening. You know how those retreats go, Friday night, you start out kind of light, and then Saturday morning, and then Saturday night's the night that, you know, you do kind of the big call mm -hmm. on people's hearts. And one of the things was, it was a fall retreat, and I had gone through the little forested area at the retreat center and picked up a bunch of dried leaves and asked everyone to write a word on it for God or something they were going to give up to God. And then we had a great big uh, planter with fresh soil in it and asked everybody to bury their leaf and then we were going to put bulbs in it so that the next spring all of those leaves would act as you know compost and we'd have beautiful flowers so I sat down after giving that call and God said to me I need a yes from you and I said what do you mean a yes he said I want you to be my minister and I said I am your minister you know basically 
do you not see what I'm doing this weekend? Right. And he said, no, I need, I need an official yes. I want you to go into ministry full time. And so at that point, with my Sharpie, I wrote yes on a leaf and I buried it. And I got back to town on Monday and I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. And nothing really changed in my life. Um, it was actually not until 2014 that I was appointed interim pastor at New Vision. And so really it was nine years after I gave my yes before I saw it happen in my life. Hmm. During that time, I knew what had happened between me and God, what had transpired. And I was waiting, not always patiently, but I was waiting. Um, it's kind of hard. It's still a man's world. It really is ministry mm -hmm. and especially lead pastorship. And um, I was able to go to seminary. In 2009, I started seminary the same year my youngest daughter went to college. I was ordained in 2011, yet still waiting. <laughs> um, I graduated seminary with my master's in um, ministry leadership in 2013. And then, not going to go into a lot of detail, but there was quite a bit of um, uh, unhealth in, in New Vision at that time. There had been a church Split. Most of the people had left. It was just a hard time. And our lead pastor took a sabbatical. And I think the split and everything that had happened was harder on him than any of us realized. And during that summer of his sabbatical, which was in 2014, I was in charge of all of the um, Sunday morning services. And I kept telling people, hey, he's out there getting refreshed he is coming back and he's got a plan and one of the things i was working on was small group ministries at that point well he returned and that first week he gave his resignation oh my so um i sat down with our conference superintendent over coffee and said what if i threw my hat in the ring and he said let's do it let's sign you up and i left that coffee appointment thinking what just happened I think I'm going to be pastoring this church um, it was not a healthy place to be but it felt like a dream come true for me I had been waiting nine years this was it and so basically the first few months I just felt like I went around doing CPR to every ministry leader and every ministry in the church um, and over the course of time, that was, you know, that was five years ago. I, I was actually appointed then the following conference year. Um, we have gained health. We are a healthy, loving community. Um, and there has been growth in depth of relationship with each other and God. One of the very first things Jesus said to me after I was appointed interim was, you need to tell this church that they either need to start being the church and stop talking about it, or I'm going to go somewhere else and find people who will. So my first series was basically that. It took me three or four weeks before I dropped the second part of the, the or else part. It was just like Jesus says he wants us to be the church and not to talk about it anymore. And we do talk about it a lot. We did. You know, we had people come in and talk about human trafficking. And we'd say, oh, that's terrible. You know, and, and homelessness and, and different issues of the day. And we would say that's terrible, but didn't really know how to impact, make an impact. So what we did as a church right off the bat when I was pastoring is decide that we had to put our faith to action and find a place, find a home that um, women were living at who had just come out of human trafficking and, and who were pregnant and having babies and go there not to preach at them, but to do yard work and clean their house and organize things and just love them and show them that they had value. Um, so we started doing that sort of thing. And it was about 
four weeks in before I said, and Jesus says, if we don't do this, he's going to go find somewhere else to do it. So I knew that it was really up to the church body. Were they going to embrace the charge Jesus had given us, or was the church going to have to, you know, fold and close? And life was breathed in, and we are still, we are still doing and serving, and um, we now... Um, try to be a place of hope. So how many years has it been now? Was it five years since, you, since you've been there? Five since I was appointed interim. It will be, um, uh, it was 2015 when I was actually okay. appointed um, officially. <laughs> okay, okay. And it's interesting, you know, with, with that whole story because, you know, it was sometime before that um, that, as you mentioned, you felt as if you were called to do this. Um, and, of course, you know, in most people's lives, first and foremost, they want to do, if they have an idea, they want to get started on it right away. Now, especially if you feel called to do something from God, well, okay, God called me to do this. Now I really want to get started right away, like I'm going to get in there and, and get started. And then it's like, okay, time goes by. It's like, you know, what, what's taking so long in our timetable, uh, the things that we would want um, or the things that we would, you know, hope to to jump right into. God has has maybe a little different timing on that, <laughs> a different plan for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes, and waiting is hard, but I didn't want to run ahead of him. Yeah. Um, but I, I have, and I do believe this is a really dangerous prayer to pray, to pray, God, I want all you have for me. And I've prayed that a few times in my life. And one time when I prayed it, it was years of painful healing, actually. <laughs> um, and through all of that, I mean, that's part of, of my testimony, a whole different testimony. But through that time, in the back of my head, I just kept thinking, God is answering my prayer. God is answering my prayer. And even waiting those nine years between giving God like an official yes, and he was very clear, I need a yes from you because I want you in full-time ministry. You know, and so I gave him that yes, yet it was years later. But there were things falling into place, like being able to go to seminary. Um, I, I had a few people tell me, you belong in seminary, you should be in seminary. And finally, the registrar from, from the seminary here in Portland, it, it was George Fox University, and now it's called Portland Seminary. Um, she called, and she left me a voicemail. And she said, Carlene, every year for the last three years, people have given me a note on my desk that said, you belong here in seminary. And she said, we've talked before, but I just want to ask you, do you think maybe God is trying to tell you something? And I had never thought of it that way because I thought going to seminary was a dream. And, you know, it's not cheap. And I had kids in college. And so I just started thinking, oh, Maybe this is God's plan to yeah. get me to that point that he's already told me he's taking me to. So that was really a dream. Um, but it was all part of God answering my prayer of, I want all you have for me. And I still try to pray that way. It's it's a dangerous prayer. Get the answers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, because ultimately, you know, we may not have it in the way that we wanted to have it. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so now I personally uh, was, I guess I could say, introduced to you and maybe many others were this month um, when the December Light and Life came out. Um, and in uh, one of the articles there in December Light and Life, you talked about your husband, um, who you've been married to for 40 years, who passed away unexpectedly about a year ago. Um, now I know I have, I have um, lost family members. Um, my brother died when he was 15 of leukemia. Um, and so I know just from, from personal experience and then just kind of the stories of, of countless others, for some reason when we, when we come into these times of grief and loss, the most, most people we default to saying, well, how are you doing? Well, we, we know the person, not really, they, how could they be doing well? I mean, we know the answer, but we don't really know what to say. Um, and, and so in these kinds of conversations, I think what can be a lot more helpful um, is just to tell stories and to talk about the people that we've lost as a way to kind of, a way to heal, but also just to have that conversation and discuss 
what has happened. And so I just I just want to know um, a little bit more today if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about your husband Ted, um, how you met, and you know kind of how you knew he was the one that you wanted to marry, um, and, and and those types of things. Okay, I appreciate that. First, I just want to say, you know, I mentioned that I I have prayed many times in my life, God, I want all you have for me. I, right now, do not know or understand how the death of my husband fits into that prayer. Yeah. I hope I will someday, um, the sight of heaven. Um, I know that I'm going to become a new person, different than who I was when Ted was in my life. Um, so let me just start off by saying that because it seems like kind of an odd jump to go from, I want all you have for me, God, and then right. to say, four years into pastoring, four years into this dream and this thing God gave me, my husband died. Yeah. Um, and first, I would like to, and I won't take long, just to, to talk about the day he died. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a Sunday evening prayer group at our house. My husband was a prayer warrior. There's many people around the denomination who you would mention his name to, and they would say, oh, Ted, he prayed. (laughs) He heard from God. Um, And so we had a group at our home with our normal Sunday evening prayer group, and he always got up at 4.30 every morning, and after he passed, I saw in his phone that every day on his calendar at 4.30 a.m., it said appointment with God. Hmm. He'd always get up and pray every morning at 4.30. And um, a couple of people were still at our house around 9.30 in the evening on Sunday night. It was, it was September 30th. And he said, hey, I'm going to bed. i got to get up early. So he went to bed, and the people left a few minutes later, and I stayed up for about an hour and um, went into the bedroom and got into bed, and he, you know, moved a little bit, was disturbed slightly, and I said, good night, honey, and he said, what? And I said, good night, and he said, oh, good night, and he patted me twice on the shoulder. And his alarm went off at 4.30 in the morning, waking him up for his appointment, and rarely did he not hear it. Sometimes he would sleep through it. More often, he would already be up and have forgotten to turn it off. And all I would have to do is say Ted, and he'd be like, oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said Ted, and there was no answer. And I reached out and touched his hand and moved up his arm and shook his shoulder and did a sternal rub and started yelling his name and turned off his alarm and called 911, and I did uh, chest compressions on him for the nine minutes that his alarm was snoozing. Um, And just as the paramedics arrived and crawled up on the bed, and said, we'll take over for you, ma'am. His alarm went off. Hmm. He just did not wake up. He, he, he was not sick. He just did not wake up. Hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a trauma for me. I know that losing someone is a trauma. Um, I've come after talking to people and also just pastoring and walking with people through you know, losing loved ones, that when someone is ill, you have some time to start grieving before they pass. Yeah, Um, The first question that I remember being asked was, what funeral home do you want us to call? Well, who the heck knows? I mean, I knew one I didn't want them to call because I knew a family I had walked with didn't like the service. Mm. But other than that, I didn't know. So it was very traumatic, Um, and Hmm. so I just wanted to start there. It wasn't like he was sick, it wasn't like we were prepared, it wasn't like we were planned. Um, Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and I mean, that's, it's it's very deeply personal um, in, in those moments and in that time of your life, and just again, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us, and it's, I agree with what you said that, you know, no loss is easy, but at least when you have, are able to prepare for something, you can mentally prepare, you can say what you want to say. That is, that's, 
and again, I, I agree with you. I, it's the same thing. I've had conversations with people. I, from what I've been told, that's easier than the alternative to just get the news or to find out. Right. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or to wake up next to your husband who isn't alive anymore. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and, and I think later on in our conversation, we'll probably talk a little bit about the holidays. And, sure. and I think that kind of sets up why yeah. I'm going to, well, for what I'm going to say later. But anyway, Ted and I met when I was a senior in high school. He was three years older than I was for part of the year anyway. You know how birthdays overlap a little bit. Um, we went to a football game. I, I went to Bend, Oregon. Um, Bend uh, Senior High. He was from a little tiny town named Culver that I had never even heard of, but it's about 40 minutes away from Bend, but it, it had like population of 400 people. He graduated in the largest graduating class up to that point, which was 22. Um, he was the president of his senior class. Um, so I had a best friend and she was seeing kind of dating Ted's best friend. And, um, she was going to go to the to the football game with Ted's friends, her boyfriend, and I said, "Oh, will you just go there with me, and then I'll hook up with our friends, and you can hang out with this guy." And she's like, "Okay, yeah." So she tells her boyfriend this, and he then decides he needs to get a date for me. So he told Ted that this was a blind date. And so Ted comes along to the football game thinking he was on a blind date. I had no idea we were on a blind date. So I didn't even sit by him. <laughs> nice. Barely talked to him during nice. this, this date. Um, but then we went to my friend's house after the game. And he then drove me home and asked me out for the next weekend, which to me, that was our first date. Um, but um, for him... We had already had a date, and I wasn't very—I wasn't very kind or um, friendly on that date. Um, and then we dated through my senior year in high school. We dated through my first year in college, and um, got engaged at some point in there. And we're married um, September of 1978. Um, about two and a half. Well, no, actually, two years after we met. Um, I think he knew right away <laughs> that I was the one. Yeah. Uh, we pretty much, after what I consider our first official date, we didn't go a day without talking or seeing each other. Okay. So it didn't take me long to just want to be with him all the time. He worked um, graveyard at a, at a mill, and this was, you know, back in the day, um, at a mill... Uh, oh gosh, probably an hour away from where I lived. So he would work graveyard and then he'd drive to my house. And, you know, he would sleep a lot of times during the day and hang out with me, but just being together. I mean, we could hardly not be together. So that was, um, that was, that was a fun, it was a fun time. I, I mentioned earlier that I have kind of another testimony of healing and Ted came in just right after I had been through some, some other trauma. And uh, he stuck with me through all of that. And that takes quite a gallant man to do that. Um, he was extremely wise. He was very humble. And he liked to help people. And I found out that he saw that I had some brokenness. And he thought, ah, oh, I can help her. And I kind of put up some walls. And he said he was more um, intrigued <laughs> because I challenged him. Um, so we didn't start out necessarily the most healthy, but we did go to marriage counseling during our 40 years. And um, the marriage counselor at one point said, you know, when you met your dysfunctions were a perfect match for each other. That can make a happy marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that old phrase, I guess, that opposites attract, and there's the the um, you know the strengths of one and the weaknesses of another, and all those types of things. But it's just yeah. it's just um, with forty years. I mean, you I you have all sorts of memories, ups and downs, and mm -hmm. what's um, I mean, there's probably many different things. But what 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 
Give us one of the lessons that, so there's people listening that are married. Tell us one of your lessons that you've learned over 40 years of being married. Commitment. Yeah. That um, you don't always feel in love. You don't always like each other, honestly. Mm. But the marriage vows, it's a covenant. And Mm. we both took a covenant very seriously, even though I wasn't a Christian when we married. We, we took the covenant seriously, and it was something that we chose to honor and work through. So we, we fought for our marriage. The first 15 years were really pretty blissful, honestly. Um, we were really young when we got married, though. And then God started doing some healing work in me. I mean, like I said, I was saved at 25 Mm -hmm. and over the course of a few years I um I thought God had done everything that he needed to do in me I mean I was feeling really whole and good and I made the mistake let me put it that way of praying that dangerous prayer God I want all you have for me because I really thought it was safe because I thought I had it all And he answered, which was going through a very deep healing from some trauma that had happened as a child. And as I was changing through my healing and becoming more dependent on God and less dependent on Ted being my rescuer, um, that, that threw us into, I would describe it as a marital crisis. Hmm. So that's one thing I would say to people who are married you're going to grow during your marriage. You're going to change. And when one person does it, the other person, it's going to make it easier if you get on board and decide to grow and change as well. And it doesn't mean you grow and change in the same way, but you grow and change into the Christ-likeness that God has for each of you. And as you become transformed into the person that, God really has designed you to be, then your marriage is going to be strengthened and you're going to come out on the other side closer and stronger. And that's what took place in our lives. Um, He too went to some counseling. I went to some counseling. We were in marital counseling. We worked. We fought for this marriage. And the last decade or more, we both had a marriage that we had dreamed of and hoped for um, that I didn't think was possible at some points. Um, I remember having a neighbor when we were very, very young, our kids were young, and she would often say to me, marriage is a tough road to hoe. <laughs> mm. And um, she was a farm girl. Yeah. But um, it is. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing because you're going to change over that lifetime together. And, but, you, but what you want to do is change into who God has, has designed you to be. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, you know, in reading, you know, in, in reading commentaries or in studying the Bible, you hear um, on the issue of, you know, when Jesus spoke about divorce, for example, you, you read about the stories of, you know, in the ancient times when, you know, someone could, a husband could dislike something the wife made and divorce her over, you know, the food being cooked the wrong way or just over these small things, they would, they would get divorces and whatnot. And, you know, we like to think today, it's like, oh, well, you know, look how far we've come from that civilization. But really, you know, we, you just spoke about commitment. That's the opposite of really what the culture talks about, what the world talks about. You know, it's, it's not maybe as, as insignificant as cooking a dinner wrong, but, you know, to think of, oh, well, I'm going to put in time and effort towards something is not something that many people have a concept of, sadly, in the culture um, versus like, hey, I'm not getting anything out of this. So, you know, what if it doesn't benefit me, then I'm leaving. You know, it, it, it's that's the thought for many people in the culture. And it's really the opposite of that commitment. Um, so when you when we do hear those stories of um, honest stories, as you just told of, of somebody saying, well, it wasn't, it's not as if you just told a story of, well, it's all great, you know, and everything is amazing. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah. It's actually yeah. uh, reflecting every great story. What you've just told us, every great story, fictional or otherwise, is always about, oh, there's all this hard stuff that happened. 
But all that hard stuff actually led to the the great ending of the story. That led to the story being good. You know, if there is no conflict, then it's a boring story. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, it just reflects it in every aspect of life. And so often what we do when we, in, when we see conflict, we just run the other way. Oh, well, conflict, I don't like that. I'm going to run the other way. And in the case of marriage, sometimes, you know, a lot of people sadly have just said, well, there's conflict. Well, it's gotten too much. I'm just going to run the other way. I'm going to, you know, just go find somebody else or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, that's just another, um, again, to commend you and, and you know, the, the 40 years that you have of, of marriage. Um, and and when we talk about this, too, though, it's like talking, we're talking about all these issues. We're talking about um, facing facing hard times within marriage, but then we're also talking about this separate but connected issue of you facing the, the trauma and the hard times of the loss here, too, of, of, of your husband. Right. And right. so, you know, when we, the article, and one thing about Light and Life, you know, we had to get to the, the bottom line of things because we have two pages worth of stuff to put on there, you know? Um, so, 1,800 words. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the article focused on the Advent season, Christmas, uh, um, mm -hmm. and when it comes to this, all of this, what? first of all, I guess, why do you think that, you know, the holidays are especially hard when it comes to grief and loss and, and dealing with this? That's a really good question. Um, one thing I do want to say is that even though Ted's death was unexpected, I do not feel that we left anything unsaid, mm. which is a really good feeling. Yeah. Which I think, you know, you just described in talking about the hard work that we put into our marriage and the place that it had gotten to where we were co-equals and in this together and partners in life and so there wasn't anything between us anymore um, that was causing us to, you know, harbor any ill feelings or ill will. And, and so there was nothing left unsaid. He knew I loved him. I knew he loved me. Um, the other thing, just going back to our previous question, and then I'll jump ahead, mm -hmm. is that it took both Ted and me to make that commitment and decide to fight. Yeah. And I don't want anyone who has ended up in a marriage that that resulted in divorce to feel that they didn't put in enough commitment because oftentimes one party tries so hard and commits to change and if the other one does not, mm -hmm. it unfortunately isn't going to end in the story that Ted and I have. It takes hard work on both people's part and I could have worked really hard or he could have worked really hard and if the other one of us hadn't or had not chosen to just say we are committed and we're covenanted together um, I believe there would have been the need to have divorced and gotten on with a life of health um, so let me just say that because I don't want anybody yeah. feeling guilty um, if they're saying, I tried my hardest, <laughs> right. but my spouse just wouldn't budge. Yeah, um, because there are those scenarios. And there's also the scenarios if there is abuse in a marriage. You don't just hang in there mm -hmm. and let yep. the abuse take place. I mean, it doesn't mean necessarily you divorce immediately, but you certainly do not stay living in the same, um, in the same place. Yeah. Because that's not okay. All right. Yeah. So moving on, why is Christmas and these kind of things so difficult? I think every milestone is hard. And I mentioned earlier, or I alluded to earlier, that I was um, telling the story of how he died because it would come up later. I have no memory of last year's holidays. Hmm. His uh, memorial service was... Um, about 10 days after he died, 12 days after he died, I guess. And I have no memory after that. And I think that's God's way of helping us cope with trauma. I mean, I have been through um, counseling. I'm still in counseling. I've had some EMDR for counseling or for trauma. Um, but it hasn't brought back 
the memory. I don't remember Thanksgiving. I don't remember our youngest daughter's birthday. That was just last Monday. Um, I don't remember how my Christmas tree got in the house last year, how it got decorated. <laughs> I don't remember Christmas. The first thing I remember was New Year's and being invited to a party and thinking I was going to go. And then that day thinking I can't. I have mm. no one to kiss at midnight mm. and choosing not to go. Um, I took three months off from work and I had just returned to work and I, I couldn't. And every milestone has been so hard this last year. Every birthday where I was signing a card to every grandchild or every child or a mom or a friend that I would normally say, you know, love mom and dad or love Carlene and Ted or Ted and Carlene. Hmm. I only sign my name. Yeah. And it's just that stark reminder again that he's gone, that my partner, the other, not even the other half of me, because together we are one as a married couple. Um, and it's Part almost, of me is torn. It's almost these unexpected things a lot of times. You know, you wouldn't think yeah. there's going to be anything coming up because you're going to do a birthday card for somebody right. or oh, go to a party on New Year's. I guess I could do that. It's these things then all of a sudden it, it you just think, oh, well, yeah. I should be doing this during that time. It's, it's right. very right. unexpected beyond the things that you might, or the dates that you might normally, you know, come to your right. mind. Right. And so then the, the memories hit again. The pain hits. It intensifies the pain of grief. Grief is really painful. And as many people say, it's not linear. You don't just go through it and then, you know, shut the door on it. I kind of expected myself to be able to do that at the year mark. I had this high expectation that I could just kind of fence off the first year and walk out of it and shut the gate, I thought, well, I'll put a gate in this fence so I can go back and visit the memories, but I'm gonna move on with my life. I'm gonna be my new person. I'm gonna figure out my new stuff. And I almost removed, well, I didn't almost, I think I did remove grace for myself at that point. Mm. And I was way less patient with myself. I didn't really, um, allow myself to continue to not be able to function at my normal I'm an overachiever so I hardly ever reach my own standards that I set um, last week though we still have a prayer group that meets on Sundays not in my home right now but elsewhere and as we were just getting ready to pray God met me there gave me a vision said some words to me and what I thought was Jesus lying down and he said you know what it's okay to rest and in fact I want you to rest I want you to lie down with me because I'm going to lie down here with you and I'm going to be here as long as you need to lie down and rest and when you feel ready to get up we'll get up together I will get up with you then and then you can move on with your life and your new self but you don't have to hurry it you can wait, and I'm going to wait here with you and rest with you. And that has helped. Have I just, like, fallen right into that, and now I'm, you know, in bliss and peace lying next to Jesus? No, I'm still prodding myself along. But I know it's there, and I'm faster now at saying yes to Jesus than I used to. So I know I will say yes, but it's one of those things that, ah, uh, it's so hard to figure out who I am now, how to live a new life, and all of those milestones, and particularly the holidays. I loved Christmas. Hmm. It's just a reminder of he's not here. I didn't yeah. want to put our Christmas stockings up this year because it's mine and my dogs, and my youngest daughter's living with me right, down, right, right now and her dog. So those stockings are up. And it was like, I don't want to put him up because his won't be there. Yeah. And I'm not going to put it up because I'm not going to pretend, oh, he's never left me. I have to accept.
accept that he's left me and realize my life goes on and my life goes on with just my Christmas stocking on yeah. the hearth. Well, and it's, it, you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you, you eventually realized and felt, you know, God's presence alongside of you, not in the sense of God saying like, okay, like time to move on to this next thing. Like, you know, you got to kind of get here, but that God was present right. with you in the, in that suffering, in the midst of, of the grief and all of this. And really, I mean, that's when we're talking about Christmas and the holidays and all that, that is the bottom line message of Christmas. You know, that Emmanuel, God with us. And of course that's, you know, in form of Jesus on earth, but also it's that God is with us in, um, not just the you know high points of our life or or you know the exciting songs at church or something like that, but he is going to be with us in all of the hardships as well, all of those types of things, and he will be willing to sit there with us. I mean, it kind of reminds me of this ancient um, Jewish practice called sitting shiva, uh, where essentially when someone had passed away in the Jewish world, they would come over to your people. This person, people would come over to your house and. If the person wanted to talk, then they would talk, and if not, then they would just sit and have silence. It was just being present with the person. You weren't having to think up something to do or, or have something to say, but you would talk if they wanted to or, or not if they didn't want to. And, um, you know, get that image of those ancient Jewish people, but then also the image of God doing that, you know, that God is alongside you in the silence, in the conversation, and that God is sitting Shiva with you. Um, and so, I, I, you know, you talked a little bit about this uh, concept and this idea in Light and Life. You talked about, you know, God being with us and relating to our struggles, relating to our pain. Um, so how does that encourage you on a daily basis um, now, over a year later? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not encouraged every day, and yeah. I have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, leaning into grief and pain is hard, but Jesus was human. Like you said, Emmanuel, God with us. He, God came to the world as a little baby. <laughs> he had skin on. Um, one thing that I've realized recently is what a cooperative relationship God had with Mary. He created Jesus. Um, you know, we know that God can create a human out of nothing. We know mm-hmm. that from Genesis. But God didn't choose to come and be our Savior that way. He chose to have a cooperative relationship with a young woman. And so Jesus gets his humanity really from us, just like we get our humanity. Um, He cried with Mary and Martha when their brother died, Um, even though, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus' pain was real when he suffered and died on the cross. And I heard someone say recently that Mary's yes in cooperation with God to bring forth a Savior meant that she was saying yes not only to, you know, bearing this baby and seeing him grow up to be, you know, the son of God, but it also was a yes to her watching her son die a brutal, horrifying death right before her eyes. Hmm. So, Hmm. you know, I said yes to Jesus. (laughs) I said, I want all that you have for me. And I, like I said, I don't know how it all fits in. But just this morning, I got a text from a friend and she occasionally will text me words. And actually, after Ted died, I think she texts me every day. I have a whole list of words in my journal. Today's word is this. God gave me this word for you today. And this morning she texted me. She said, it's been quite a while since God gave me a word for you. But today's word is encouragement. Um, One morning I got up to a note from my daughter who lives with me that just said, you're strong and smart and tough as hell. I love you. (laughs) And last week being with a a fellow female pastor, she said, you know what? I have some words for you from God. He sees you as steadfast, immovable, 
and abounding. And she said, you don't feel that way, but that's how you're seen. And so we think of God, Emmanuel, God with us. God put flesh on and lived among us. I say often to my congregation when I'm speaking, sometimes we need God with skin on. And I feel that he's filled my life with people who reflect his love for me. And I need their hugs. And I need their words. And yeah, God should be enough, but I'm still human. And I still cry out in my flesh. And and he meets that by giving me people who will tell me I'm okay, even when I don't think I am. And literally be God with skin on in the world today to me. Hmm. Yeah, and that's, um, I like what you're saying in, in being you're getting these words about yourself that at the time you don't feel that way but god you know and we see the this in in the bible too we see god you know talking about somebody or telling them what they are before they're at that point you know moses is going to go do this stuff oh well you know i'm not good enough i can't speak well you know whatever and god sees the person not necessarily who for they are at that moment but who they're becoming um, and I always uh, think about, I've mentioned this many times to different people, but that, you know, that movie Hook, uh, did you see that with Robin Williams many years ago? Oh, yes. That was one of Ted's favorite. Every time it was on, he would stop on it. So, yeah. so that's that, you know, it's like that same thing. Like before he even really believes, Robin Williams, before he believes mm-hmm. he's Peter Pan, you know, then you have all of the kids choosing, are they going to follow, who they're going to go after, and nobody chooses Peter Pan. But then the one kid goes over and he, you know, looks at Peter's face and he sees who he is beyond kind of the well, the facade. And he says, oh, there you are, Peter. And it's kind of that whole thing that God looks into who we're becoming and he sees past all the things that we have built up or even the way we're feeling at the time or whatever. And he calls us, you know, who we truly are, our true identity. Um, and that's kind of exactly what you've you know, been experiencing is, you know, God speaking to who you truly are and your true identity rooted in him versus kind of what, what just comes to your mind when you, when you look at yourself in the mirror or whatever it is. Um, Absolutely. That was well said, Josh. Yes. Thank you. Because that just yeah. ministered to me a great well, deal. I just took notes on what you said. <laughs> I need that. Well, I need that. Good, I good. need to know there's a plan for me now. I had hoped and believed that I would never go through anything as traumatic as I had when I was younger. And that healing process I went through when I was younger, and this is harder. Mm. And in a way, it makes me mad. I didn't want to go through anything that was harder. And this healing is harder. Healing hurts. Uh, It does. It's one of the hardest things you ever have to do. But I know it's worth it. I know it's worth it on the other side because I've I've been there. I've already lived it. Um, But in the midst of it, it's hard. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And... um... You know, all of the, all of the, as I've said before, um, you know, all of the great stories are full of this kind of a thing. It's a, you know, every story has that conflict. And, you know, at the end, maybe on this side of earth, we, we could be like Joseph, where we say, hey, what you meant for evil, whether it's to people or to Satan or whoever, what you meant for evil, God used to do this, this, and this. Or, you know, maybe we won't know on this earth and, and everything, right. and we'll find out later. But, you know, just to yeah. know that, you know, that conflict does not have to be the end of the story. That, in fact, that can be the means to uh, the next part of the story and that God will use what was meant for something good. Um, so, yeah, so so in the midst of all of these things we've been talking about and everything, I mean, you're, uh, well, really, I shouldn't say you're still, but it's going to be a lifetime of learning things and, and kind of um, finding out and... and um, adapting your life as with anyone, but so far in, in your journey, do you have any advice for someone who, you know, maybe say just a few months ago now um, has experienced the loss of someone close to them and is listening to this and, and just has just started out on this journey? Yeah, well, first I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. And I 
know the pain of it. I, um, prior to losing my husband, I had lost my dad when I was 13, but somehow it was, it, it feels quite different. Um, you know, I used to know what grief was like from walking beside someone, but now I know what grief is like from looking from the inside out. So first I just want to say I'm so sorry for your pain, and I understand it. Be as patient with yourself as you can. Hold on as best you can. Give yourself grace. God gives you grace. I was talking to a friend just yesterday, and she had such an awesome analogy, and it really helped me. She said, you know, God is like a life jacket. God's love is like a life jacket. And 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 you put it on, or he even might help you put it on. But it's up to us to buckle it. We have to buckle that life jacket. Because it's not going to do us any good unless it's buckled. And buckling that life jacket is our decision to say yes to God. I want you in my life. I want you as my Savior, but not only as my Savior, but as my Lord, too. And then that life jacket is going to help you be buoyed as you are going through the storms of life. And even when the waves come over you and you don't know which way is up, you are going to come up and break through the surface of the water because you got that life jacket buckled on. Um, and that helped me a lot yesterday that um, you have to fasten the buckle. And I have not gotten through this yet, but I've gotten through hard stuff before. And I believe that those who have gone before me have told me I will get through this. And I, I, I believe I will, that there is not going to be this intensity of pain that I'm experiencing now. And to those people who have lost someone recently, and I think, it, I think it's even within the last few years, you still feel it really fresh. Hmm. We, will get a, we will get through this. We will get through this. Hmm. And our life will be new and different. And it will be beautiful again, and we'll feel happy. Yeah. And it's okay not to feel that right now. Just be. Yeah, I think um, that's so important for anybody who who is going through or has gone through. Um, as you were as you were saying some of that stuff, and in the midst of everything else that we've been talking about, a quote came to mind, and I looked it up real quick so I could read it. It's uh, from J.R.R. Tolkien uh, within the story The Two Towers and The Lord of the Rings, and mm-hmm. you just talked about this idea of kind of the life jacket of in the midst of the darkness you know you're you're looking around you're going well how could anything be good again um and it's hard to see that there is that surface so this quote kind of goes to that um sam is talking to frodo and he says it's like in the great stories mr frodo the ones that really mattered full of darkness and danger they were and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy how could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, but they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And then Frodo says, what were they holding on to, Sam? And he responds that there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And so that idea that there's something you know, worth fighting for, it's, there's something worth continuing for. There was a great loss. There was a great darkness. But it's not the end. It's, all, it's in the bigger scheme of things. And, and to take it to this conversation, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, to think of your husband being restored in the presence of Christ now, we can truly say it's only a passing thing, this shadow. We can truly say that. Um, and yet in the midst of the darkness right here and right now, we have to keep those things in perspective. And, and it's an everyday thing. As you said, some days it's encouragement. Some days it's, well, I don't feel encouraged today. Um, but it's that every day 
um, moving towards towards that greater story. You're right, and you have used the phrase my husband used so often during this conversation, which was in the midst. Mm. Um, he used that so frequently when he would speak to people, and in fact, my youngest daughter um, got a tattoo of that on the back of her leg where it just said in the midst and our son in his speech or when he shared at the memorial service was talking about Ted speaking so frequently of in the midst and um, yes there is another side and I know he's with Jesus I know he is and I know I'll see him again someday Um, but I sure do miss him he was a good husband (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Very blessed. This has been, um, I mean, this is, I I don't know, I have it in front of me, but this is like the 131st episode, I think it is, of this podcast. But I want to, I mean, this is honestly one of the best interviews that we've ever had because it's, everybody on here has been great. Every interview I've ever had, but the conversation that we're having today is not just about an issue. You know, it's about stuff that's going to mean something to, really every person that listens to this one day or another i mean for the people that haven't experienced loss yet they will and this is this is a human thing this goes beyond you know the free methodist church this goes beyond you know a specific church or what you're doing out there at your church you know this is everybody um deals with this and so i know it's part of life right yeah 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 it's not a part we like especially in our culture yeah we don't know how to deal with it very well yeah, that's very true. Yes, very true. Um, just a few episodes ago, if anybody's listening to this one alone, you could go back and listen to the conversation with James Lackey we had here um, around Halloween time, talking about All Saints Day and the idea of kind of that twist on Halloween of remembering um, not just the saints, but remembering the people who have gone before you also in your life and taking the time uh, to not avoid death, but to focus on remembering those who died um, and you know, just these these kinds of types of things. Like you say, it's it's so it's normal. This this happens to everybody. Everybody's gonna die. Right. But we like to avoid it, act as if it's not. And so we need to kind right. of retrain ourselves on that at whatever stage we're on, um, so we can really talk about the things that are that are key. Uh, talk about these right. things that matter. So And someday we won't have to worry about ever dying again. Yeah. Because we will have eternal life and I think part of the reason that it's so hard for us to deal with death is because we were not created originally to die. We were created to live forever in a garden with God. And death came as a result of the fall and the curse. And so I think innately, we aren't very well prepared to deal with this, but God allows us wonderful coping skills. Um, to figure this out, but I think I think that's why it hurts so much. Even though we know we'll see these people again someday, that they are still living, um, but but we're just that's not what God's plan was in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. to have that death, and you know, I think that's why I think Jesus' death was so hard on God too, because it wasn't what He planned in the first place. Yeah, I agree, and it's uh, but resurrection, but resurrection. Yeah, so. yeah, and even yeah. yeah, like we just keep saying, in the midst of even having all that knowledge, truly believing it, it doesn't mean that you 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 should feel bad uh, if you're listening. You right. say, well, I, I believe all this, and I, I feel bad that I you know don't aren't more joyful about it or you know whatever. Well, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean just because we believe in those things that you know in the here and now it's still not hard. Okay. So. There's the the weird balance almost of of these two realities um, that exist at the same time. Um, right. And well, I think that's why Jesus came to Earth. Part of the reason wasn't just to die for our sins; it was to be relatable to us and to model to us um, how to live life. And he was not emotionless. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Most famously, Lazarus. But yeah, and, and all of those, and all those different. There's a lot of passages. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for having a conversation with us and sharing this time with us. And um, like I say, I'm, I'm sure um, many who listen are going to be helped in one way or another. So um, thank you so much for writing the article and now coming on and talking to us even more about this. I really enjoyed talking with you, Josh. And um, thank you. Thank you for reaching out to me. Absolutely. Tears were in my eyes when the phone rang